and welcome to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast with your host, Lauren Tickner. And today's episode is an interview episode. I know you guys absolutely love these interview episodes. And today I've brought on a guest whose name is Jamie Alderton. Now, you may be following Jamie already. He has a large social media following and he is known as Grenade J across social media. And he is also a fitness model. He's been in the fitness industry for a long, long, long time. So we all have a lot to learn from him. Jamie is the father of a little girl and he's also a businessman, but he hasn't always been successful and he's actually been through a lot of struggles. And I think that that's something that I'm going to be talking about with him today because I think that we all know that through struggle comes strength. But I think it's going to be really, really interesting hearing Jamie's opinion on this. And Jamie's also done some crazy stuff for charity. So I think it's going to be cool to talk about that. And he also owns a gym down in the south of the country in a place called Chichester, which I actually have a family house there. So I definitely have to go check that out sometime. So if you are enjoying this episode at any point, guys, you know what to do by now. Take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story. Every single time that you guys share the episode, I always reply back to you because it just means so much to me that you're sharing. So anyway, I don't want to mess around too much longer. I just want to get straight into this episode because I know that Jamie is going to have a lot of valuable content to give us today. So I hope you enjoy it, guys. Remember to share and head to the description box of the podcast for all information about where you can find Jamie and who to tag in your Instagram stories. Enjoy the episode. Jamie Alderton, it has been a while. How are you today? Lauren, very good, thank you. I think it was, what was it? When did I see you last? Last May, wasn't it? Body Power. The year before last, I think. We didn't even chat properly last year. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then before that, it was lunch in London in Victoria. Oh my gosh, yeah, when I was a true fan of yours. There you go. I still am, still am. (laughs) (laughs) That was a while back. No, so how are you? How, How are things? Good, really good. Um, started off 2018 with a bank. Um, one of the biggest things that I do every single year, obviously we're in, we're in February now, is at the end of every year I write down the things that were successful and things that weren't and, and brutally honest with those things and then look at ways to improve those weaknesses. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that because it's all about turning struggle into strength. And I think that you are a great ambassador for that because we were just chatting before I hit record on the podcast about your your kind of your younger self, Jamie, and how you've when you've do you wanna just tell your story a little bit and just give people kind of a bit of insight where you've been because well I'll get I'll give a sneak preview, but I'd love it if you would just touch upon your time in the military. Because I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of people perhaps, well, they can't really relate to at all. So I think it's something cool for the listeners to hear about. Yeah, I think, um, it, you know, I could scan all the way back to when I was a, a kid. I was a bit of a little shit, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> really bad attention deficit disorder, you know, but I didn't want to do anything. I didn't do it. Um, easily distracted, but kind of, you know, kind of clever with it kind of thing I think that's what frustrated the teachers is that I'd only use it if I wanted to but I never did Um, so I left school and I was in um, I was in college messing it all up because I'd spend more time getting drunk than I was actually doing the work and I left college with one of the two years worth of certifications I was just like right there's no way I'm going to go to university because I'm literally going to be a full-time alcoholic so decided to join the army because it's a bit I wanted to. I was actually into fitness um, in between the pub. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I wanted to 
do something different. I wanted to push myself and I knew I needed that, that person on my shoulder telling me what to do. I needed somebody to you know, direct me and the British Army helped with that. You know, I, I joined, I was a communication systems operator in there. Um, was there in there for seven years, did uh, two tours of Iraq and had a fantastic time. You know, I really, really enjoyed the army. But for me, it was time to leave. I always looked at the army as a stepping stone onto something else. But in those seven years, a lot of things changed with me. Um, a lot of things um, were kind of drilled into me, which were very much automated now. It's that whole self-discipline, self-drive, and it's building up that kind of, no one's going to do anything for you. You've got to go and do it for yourself. It's kind of contradictory to what you think with the army because obviously you have someone telling you what to do. But when you leave the army, you kind of still crave that. And then it took a while from leaving the army to realize that there was never ever going to be that person now telling me what to do because that's the reality of life. No one tells you what to do. You've got to go and do these things for yourself. So you have people that wait years and years and years for someone to, you know, to tell them what they need to do. And then they suddenly realize actually... No, no one's coming to save you. You've got to try and figure these things out for yourself. So that was kind of my experience with the army. You know, a lot of people um, who leave the army, actually, you know, they don't become that successful. A lot of the reason being is because they don't have that person on their shoulder telling them what to do. And they don't figure out that there is never, ever going to be that person there to direct them. So what I kind of channeled my energy into when I left the army was competing. Because for me, that was an imaginary person, person on my shoulder saying, get up eat food, train at the gym, um, and work towards an outcome-based goal, which very much for the British Army, you are very outcome-based focused because you are training for operational tour, you're deploying on operations, and then you're doing regimental duties. So you kind of always got something to look forward to, which is very much like you know, short and long-term goals. So that's what I've always been like. I've always been really, really kind of focused in an outcome-based goal, and over my time of, you know, achieving that kind of thing, I kind of realized it wasn't about the outcome. It was about the processes. Because although you can achieve a result from an outcome, you tend to lose it pretty quick if you didn't understand the processes that it took to get there. You see this with nutrition. You see this with training. You see this with mindset. You know, when you transition this to fitness, you have all the people looking to lose weight. And their outcome-based goal is to look a certain way but they're not thinking of the processes that it takes to look that certain way. They choose the wrong ones. They choose ones that are trying to get there as quickly as possible. And these are the things that are not sustainable, which is why if they do manage to get the result, they don't keep it. So for me now, my whole focus is on daily processes, not focusing on the outcome goal, but having it in mind and looking at the things and the steps that you can do and achieve daily to get there. Jamie, I absolutely love how you started to speak about process-based goals because this is something that I'm absolutely huge on. I think that the listeners of the podcast will be just being like, yes, Jamie, because it's something that I speak about a lot. And I think it's something that's changed so many lives because it's a very simple switch of the mind that you have. And you're just like, okay, I'll focus on these small processes every single day and that will lead me to the outcome. And it's, it's so simple yet so underutilized, I think, in people's fitness journeys and business I suppose I think um, it's pretty much because it's not as glamorous (laughs) no but it's also how our brains are conditioned you know like yeah and I don't want to get boring on the whole science and everything like that but we love that on the business meets fitness podcast we love the science okay cool (laughs) let's say your brain's about 200,000 years old Um, so when you 
yet, you know, the environment which we live in now um, is very, very different to, you know, the environment when our brains were first kind of we created. cavemen. Exactly. Um, but you've got to understand that we're, we, our brains are wired for, a, a, you know, immediate return environment. So if we're hungry, you know, stress in, increases and we instantly get food. If we're cold, we instantly seek shelter. So anything that we want gets solved pretty quick within a short period of time. We're very much in a delayed return environment now. You know, if we go to work, we don't immediately have the money to pay our bills. If we go to the gym, we don't immediately lose weight and get in the shape of our life. So when we're conditioned to believe that, you know, instant gratification equals results, and it's not like that anymore, you can understand why we constantly have stress because stress is obviously a motivator to tell us, go and do something. So if we're stressed for a long period of time to go and do something and we're not achieving that result, that stress loses its ability. You know, stress in a small dose is very, very good for you because it causes you to make action. But stress for a long period of time is very, very detrimental, which is why people are so stressed because they're not achieving the things that the stress is causing them to, or or for for a short term, is making them achieve things. Yeah, for sure. So Jamie, have you had any times in your life where you feel like you've kind of had long-term stress and it's caused you to act in a certain way or do a certain thing or achieve a certain outcome? Uh, Very much so. You know, I think every year I kind of learn to get better at these things. You learn to juggle things. You learn to manage things a lot better. And, but I've always pushed myself into these un- uncomfortable positions in able to understand and get better. You know, so many people, as soon as they get comfortable, they get lazy. I got comfortable and lazy um, just if I kind of rewind back to before I became a personal trainer. I, I had left the army. I had a really good job. I was working in Kenya. I was a security advisor for the UN. Um, I had a driver. I had a six-bedroom house, which I was sharing with a friend with a pool. Um, I had a chef. And I was, you know, I had kind of everything but nothing because I was just too comfortable. I was too lazy, you know. And what happened is I got made redundant. Best thing that ever happened to me in the world because then I had to have that stress to do something about it. Whereas if you've got everything on a plate, you get lazy. Mm. It's all about how you channel the stress, I suppose, because some people would have used taken that redundancy and it would have absolutely ruined them. And I I guess you used it in a positive way, perhaps through what you learned in the military or just your general mindset. It's that same thing that I say all the time. No one's going to sort this out for you. You can sit, you can sit there at home and have pity on yourself, but no one cares. Mm. No, no one cares, you know, and I think if that's something I can drill in. People get triggered by that. It's like, no, no one cares. Like, no one cares if you consistently post on Instagram and build your following. No one cares if you consistently put the work in and, you know, build the physique that you've always dreamed of. No one cares. People, your family and that love you as you are. Mm-hmm. Your friends, they don't care. They're, as long as you're there to go and support on the phone with them and chat to them, they couldn't give a shit. Yeah, so, yeah. When do you understand that? It's just like, what do you want to do? And, and when you understand no one's going to do it for you, it's like, what steps are you going to make to achieve that? And understand that if you are going to achieve that, you're going to mess it up completely multiple times until you figure out the right way to do it. Yeah, Jamie, I love your no BS approach to fitness and just general life. And I, I think that's why a lot of people respect you. I think one thing actually, while we're on this topic that I'd love to quickly touch on is the whole fast cake hands thing. 
you want to explain to our listeners what this, uh, I suppose it's become kind of a, it's just become a well-known thing that people associate with you? So, yeah, I mean, I, I had a viral video a couple of years ago and said, you're not sensitive to carbs, you just have fast cake cans. Stop eating fucking carbs. And the whole fast cake cans things is, you know, subliminally, a lot of us eat, do things that we don't actually remember because they're so fast and they're so habitually done. You know, some people can say, oh, I eat healthy all the time, but they, they forget to remind, they forget that they had a Domino's every Saturday for the last six weeks. Because that, that's a very automated process in their brain where they haven't really registered as that being an issue. So when I say fast K-cans, it just means that, you know, you're not really being truthful to yourself. Um, and, so, you know, sometimes whenever you get triggered about something that someone says something to you, that's the time to stop and ask, why am I getting so annoyed? Because m- nine times out of ten, it's because you're either not doing something or you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you understand that self-awareness and go, hang on a minute, why am I so annoyed by that? Usually it's because it's having a mirror in front of you saying you're not doing something. And this is, you know, the whole difference between, and I did a post on this um, about understanding envy. And envy is kind of two things. You have a good envy and a bad envy. You have an envy which you look at what people have had and it inspires and motivates you to do the same. You know, these are your inspirations. These are the people that you look up to and work hard to achieve what they have. That's a really good envy to have. A lot of entrepreneurs have that envy. They follow the people that inspire them to get better. But on the other hand, you have other people who have malicious envy. They see what others have, and then they put them on a pedestal hoping that they fall off because they think that that person thinks that they're better than them. But in actual fact, they're not. They're just doing what needs to be done to get where they need to be. And that's being consistent, caring about others, and giving value. It's so much easier, however to say to people, oh, well, that person's an idiot or that person doesn't know what they're saying or, oh, well, that person's taking steroids or, oh, that person I know has got an eating disorder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because that is an instant thing to your head to say, I don't need to do that now. Because as soon as you put that person on the pedestal that, you know, they're an idiot or that's unattainable, it makes you feel a lot better because it means that you don't have to do the work in order to, to achieve that thing. Yeah, well, Jamie, I think that that is going to be something that hits home for a lot of us I think that I've always kind of uh I've always had it in my mind that jealousy is the worst trait but what you said there just then about how you can kind of use envy in a positive manner I think that that's actually that's a very very good point and I've never ever thought about it in that way um because you know you always have people who'll be like oh I'm so jealous of you or you may say to yourself oh I'm so jealous of them but you can use their position in order to motivate you, yeah, as you said, to get to where yeah. they are today. And I think and I, that's, oh, sorry, you go. No, um, no sorry, Lauren, but I remind people at the end of my seminars, at the end of my talks on everything, one thing I say, I am nothing special. You're, you are now talking to a person who failed at all, most of his GCSEs, who spent most of his years at college drinking beer, who spent a lot, a lot of his life you know, just being a little shit. And I think it was a click in my head one day, probably less than five, six years ago that made me realize actually, you know, where I currently am doesn't always mean where I, you know, where I'll always be. And the only person that's going to sort this out is you. You know, you can change your situation where you are at now. And that comes down to reading, that comes down to investing time in yourself And I think most importantly, building up self-confidence in your ability to do these things too. 
Yeah, so Jamie, would you say that you've always been a confident person or is that something that's come through kind of all the competing and and the success that you've had? Yeah, I, you know, I've always been a very competitive person. Okay. Um, I've always kind of believed in myself, but that doesn't mean that I've had, you know, the right thought process to get that success. Mm. So I would channel a lot of energy and confidence into the wrong things because, you know, too much confidence can be a bad thing as too little confidence. And I would say when I was younger, I had overconfidence. And it's probably something that you see these days is you see people pretending that they're confident to mask their insecurities. I was a naturally confident person, but I wasn't, I was talking the talk, but not walking the walk. So, you know, I was saying the things, but if you really looked at the things that I was doing, I probably wasn't doing it. And that's where a lot of of people I see today you know it's so much easier to say something than it is to do it um and I've always been you know a lot of things that have changed these days is that you know I like to be known as a person that says what they're going to do and does it you know that's the key to integrity being a person that says they're going to do something and, and see it through this is a great business tool as well you know if you are reliable if you um, have that integrity and people know you as a person that says they're going to do something and does it, then you're always going to have business. You're always going to have people trust you. And that's an important thing for me. But also for me, if I say I'm going to do something, it makes me do it because I'm like, shit, now I've got to do that. I've done that with everything. I told people I was going to build a gym, build a gym. I told people I was going to write a book, write a book. I told people I was going to push a sled for 24 hours, push a sled for 24 hours. I told people I was going to run backwards for 24 hours, run backwards for 24 hours. And all of these things were said months before I was actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Because then I suppose when you're telling people, especially when you have a following as large as yours, then you are held accountable. And, you know, you have to do it then if you are a true man, a man true to your word. And obviously in, in business, in life, you want to be someone who is seen as honest. And if you then don't do it, it's as though you're kind of a dishonest person. People won't trust you. People won't buy into you. And essentially they'll stop following you and stop believing in you. So um, this kind of brings me on to, I suppose, the, your whole personal brand, Jamie. So you obviously you left the military, you went and worked for the UN abroad. And then so you, I, I believe you came back and started your own um, fitness studio. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I literally I was I was I had a really good job. But the problem was, was I put all the money into a mortgage um, with my wife. And I was like, oh, it's all right. You know, I still got this job for another year. We can get our savings up. And the next week I got made redundant. Mm-hmm. So I had about 800 pounds in my bank and, and, and literally no job whatsoever. So I was just like, what on earth am I going to do? And that's when, you know, I sat down, I, I wrote on a piece of paper, the things that I, I'm good at and the things that I, you know, I want to do. And everything was kind of pointing towards personal training. And I never thought about looking at it as a career because I always looked at personal trainers in the gym, miserable, charging £10 an hour and working every hour under the sun. And I was just like, right, I enjoy this fitness stuff. But if I was to look like that and do that, then it's going to destroy me. I'm going to turn my passion into something that I'm going to resent. And some people actually do. But as soon as I said, right, I'm going to be a personal trainer. Fortunately, I had a credit card. So I whacked the whole course on my credit card. Um, I found a studio about seven miles up the road, rented that put it all on a credit card. I think I put about 20, like 16, 17 grand on the credit card and then just got to work. Uh, borrowed my dad's bike, cycled up to there every day and just just worked my tits off, to be honest. Um, what I was doing is I had, because it was on an industrial estate, 
uh, it was the industrial estate was only open Monday to Friday. Um, I'd have to let everyone into the gate to uh, early in the morning. I would have to let everyone out through the snow and the rain. And snow and rain, I'd still obviously cycle home. But I was in my element. You know, one thing that changed in my head with that was this was the first time where I was in control of my life and no one was telling me where to be and what to do. So regardless of it raining outside or snowing, I was in complete control to be able to get to that studio uh, and train people. And I think that was my biggest business learning curve ever because there's me, never, ever run a business in my life, started personal training on a studio in the countryside, seven miles out of town um, on on an industrial estate and it's by by a prison with no passing traffic. How do I... How do I get people here? And within six months, you know, I was literally a fully booked trainer there um, and built my entire business out within three years there. So much so that I, you know, was able to leave that place and build my own gym facility, which is now Grenade Fit. That's amazing, Jamie. So during that three-year period, is that when you began posting to social media and developing your kind of online persona? Yeah, I mean, I started, I started Facebook in 2011. So I... When I started, that was one of the reasons that I decided to become a personal trainer because I had a fitness page and I had about, what did I have? I had about 4,000 likes on my Facebook page. Um, And I just spent that Facebook page just giving people advice, following up my own training diary, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd never really looked at it as a business. It was more of a, you know, Facebook back in 2012 was more of a, like a hobby thing. Yeah, it's like when I started Instagram, it's kind of developed from, from that now. But yeah, way back when, people didn't really see it as a business or that you'd ever be able to make a kind of money or get clients through it. Yeah, I mean, I, I found a screenshot of Instagram from 2012. So that's what, that's about six years ago. And I had yeah. like, like 3,000 followers. So I was like, what the hell? You know, I've literally been at this social media malarkey for seven years now. Yeah, yeah, but that, that was, yeah, that was about 3,000 followers back then would have been probably the oh, equivalent oh yeah. of like a million. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I had, I had 10,000 likes on my Facebook page and I was, the, I was the second biggest fitness model in the UK. That's insane, that's mad, it just shows how much yeah. it's changed. What's funny though is if I posted on it, 10,000 people would see it. Yeah. Um, which is probably... Goodness knows how much. I mean, what they say now is for every 100,000 likes you have on your Facebook page, 300 people see your posts. So put that into perspective. If, you know, five, six years ago, I supposed to 10,000 people and 10,000 people saw it. Mm, yeah, well, you've got to pump money in now to see it. That's why it's so important to kind of be, uh, have top of mind awareness in your industry, I suppose, these days. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so obviously, ever since then, and... You still are, you still now have a very strong personal brand and it's something people associate different things with you. So something for me that I associate with you is like a no BS approach to fitness, you know, always focusing on your goals and just being success driven. That's how I think a lot of people see you. And so what would you say is the main kind of few things that have been able for you to that sentence did not come out right. <laughs> the main few things that have helped you develop your brand to be where it is today. Lot, lots of different things. You know, as you start to grow a business, you start to go through different stages of it. 
I'm just reading a really interesting book and I highly recommend any entrepreneur here to read it and it's the E-Myth Revisited. Okay. Now, if you are new to, if you have a, a personal brand, you probably don't need to worry about this until you're looking at getting, you know, five or six, 10, 15, maybe staff, because that's when you're going to go through these stages. And what the E-Myth talks about is um, looking at a business through infancy, through, um, through, you know, all the way through to adulthood. Um, and you go through different stages. You know, when a business is in, in, you know, in its infancy, it's usually the most exciting because you have a small little personal brand, you've got a nice income, um, and that's what I had with, with my first gym studio. I had a really nice income in there. You know, it was just me. Uh, I could you know, have as many clients as I liked. You know, I used to get about 10 inquiries a day, so I could pick and choose what I wanted, and it was fantastic. But the thing is, is that if I got hit by a bus, there was no one there to, you know, take up the reins. So that's obviously where my business evolved into hiring staff. So, I, you know, I opened up Grenade Fit um, and had, you know, ten, started off with 10 people working for us. And things change a hell of a lot then because you're no longer, you know, having the business come all to you you're relying on other people then to grow your business and that's a fantastic position to be in because it enables you to have a day off from time to time but even though you get to that stage you still have the mentality of how you got to where you are today and what you have what I understood the biggest learning curve in which took me a good year to 18 months whilst doing it is you know your biggest asset is your business's biggest weakness because as much as much as you know i was concerned about taking myself out of the business or if i get hit by a car no one can run it i am now uh, a disadvantage to the business because you know as a business grows there's only so many hours you can do and in order to scale a business you need to focus on allocation of time and getting other people to do the things which you are very very good at doing and do a lot faster than people. But the only reason that they don't do those things fast is because you're not allowing them to do it. So when I opened up my gym, as the director, I was on the reception desk 40 hours a week. I'd be building the business 40 hours a week. And then I'd be doing all my socials and everything else for 30 to 35 hours a week. So the first six months of my business, I was working 110, 115 hour weeks. And I loved it because I liked the hustle. But it's not the, it was the, probably the, the biggest learning curve, but the stupidest thing I ever done. Um, because lots of people will tell you not to do that um, and to work on your business rather than in your business. But you have to go through these things and learn the mistakes yourself. So very much now, obviously, my evolution with my business is focusing on scale, growth, and giving other people opportunities to help me grow something uh, incredible. Yeah, for sure. And I think as entrepreneurs, we can get very attached to our businesses um, because, you know, there are babies. And especially if it is your personal brand, that is you. And having to actually directly let people into your life is incredibly scary. And that's something that I've gone through recently myself. I think that kind of giving over some of the power and giving over some of the tasks is you know, it is a really scary thing, giving trust to other people. But when you let go of that, it enables and opens you up to so many more opportunities and doing things that you really want to do. For example, Jamie, all of this charity work you're doing, which is absolutely incredible. Now, Jamie, I I have to ask you, what is it like running backwards for 24 hours? Uh, Long, hard. (laughs) (laughs) 
Come on, yeah. give us I some mean, more. <laughs> I mean, it was probably the hardest training I, I, I've ever done when it comes to endurance events. The year before I pushed a sled for 24 hours. I watched that. Yeah, I that saw some of that on your Facebook, I believe it was. Yeah, I mean, that was tough. Um, and the trouble is when you do something like that, you want to try and top it. And I, I just said, I'm going to run backwards for 24 hours. And I know it's the right thing to do when people look at you like you're insane. Because for me, it's, it's all for charity. And if you're going to raise as much money as you, you can, I, I can't exactly go on my Facebook page and say, hey, guys, I'm going to do a 10K run today. Can you donate money? And like, yeah, but anyone could do a 10K run. And I think that that's the thing that makes it challenging. You know, like Tough Mudders, obstacle races, I love them, but I look left and right and there's hundreds, if not thousands of people doing it. It's nothing special. Um, the record I was hitting um, for the backwards run, only, only one person in the world has attempted it. So in six billion people on the planet, only one person's been stupid enough to go, do you know what, I'm going to run backwards for 24 hours. And, and that makes it, for me, exciting because it's, it's something that's, you know, challenging and no one would ever think of which is what drove me to do it. And I remember the first hour of running backwards, I was just like, holy shit, this is going to be hard. <laughs> um, and it did. It, you know, over the six months of training, it, it broke me in two. I had swollen Achilles, what, it had inflamed uh, plantar fascia. Um, I couldn't walk for two days after training, um, but I just pushed through. And uh, at the end, I ran, I think it was 109 kilometers backwards in 24 hours. So I was pretty happy. And, and the most important thing is it was for charity. And we raised just under 22,000 pounds, which was fantastic. That's absolutely incredible. Just out of interest, which charity was it that you chose? Um, so there's a children's charity called Chestnut Tree House. And they, this is a small um, little place that works with life-limited children. So any uh, children between the ages of two and 10 can that live in West Sussex can go there for free for two weeks a year and be looked after. And that's a huge weight off a lot of parents, um, you know, parents' energy, parents' time, because, you know, when you've got a life limited child, they, they need 24 hour care. And that is emotionally and, and physically draining. And to be able to have this amazing place that's, which relies on charity funding that can take a little brunt of that for a couple of weeks a year and they can break it up into a couple of days, you know, every three months or they can do a whole two weeks. And it just enables a little bit of a respite for the parents. But they're solely reliant on donations. Yeah. And, you know, it's very expensive to keep a place like that open. So that gave me a, a huge kind of boost with this kind of backwards run because it was it puts things into perspective it's like how are you going to manage to endure that pain for 24 hours i'm like well how does you know how does a mom and dad endure the the pain for for up to a you know decade 15 years of their child and then has to watch them pass away before they they do you know you put that into a perspective compared to me running fucking backwards for 24 hours this is nothing and that comes down to that mindset and that perspective of why you do certain things. Wow, Jimmy, that's just really hit me hard, actually, because, um, wow, gosh, because my brother, he's actually, um, he's disabled and he's, you know, he goes to places just like the place that you're talking about. So I've been, you know, thinking about things that I can do for charity. And I've, in this moment, you've really, really uh, made me realise that my kind of, my thoughts have been too small and I need to start thinking bigger 
about what I can do to actually uh, make a difference. And well, that's, that's really hit me. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I hope it has for some of the listeners as well. So anyway, um, you actually, you have a daughter, I know. So uh, how has being a parent changed, changed your outlook on life? Very much so. I mean, you know, when I first started with this fitness malarkey, I was very much, um, very, very selfish person. I mean, any, anyone who competes at a high level has to be selfish. You have to look after number one. You have to prioritize your own nutrition, training, the lot in order to succeed. Um, and I was very, very selfish. You know, I look at selfishness and selflessness as a kind of a scale. Um, if you are too selfish, you need to focus on being less selfish. If you're too selfless, that can be also detrimental and you can focus on bit, you need to focus on being more selfish. One of the biggest things that I found with Eliza being born in 2013 was putting others before me, putting the, the wants and needs of others before me. Now, do I say that everyone should do that? No, you should always sort your needs before other people. But I was in a place where, of extreme selfishness where I needed to start going back up that scale to a bit more selflessness. And when I started to put others before my own wants and needs, um, a lot of things changed for me. My business boomed, my happiness boomed because I, I didn't used to, you know, I no longer put the blinkers on and was just focused on myself. It was having a balance of having my own needs and having the needs of others. It was more 50-50 than 100-0. And to see that I got a result from that is always going to be, you know, what's going to keep you doing that thing. If you change your mind on something and you get the same, if not better result, then you're always going to change to that thing. And it's always, it's always important to know where you go on that scale. Because as much as that changed my mindset when it came to, um, you know, to Eliza being born, to my business, that instantly shot me up the scale within 18 months into extreme selflessness. And that was putting the needs of everyone else before the needs of myself, which when I opened my gym and that was the thing that I was doing for a year. I was working for other people and not actually focusing on my wants and needs. And then I was like, shit, I've just gone from super selfish, only caring about myself to super selfless, only caring about other people. And that's when, you know, it's, it's very interesting because any book that's ever probably been launched in the last 10 years has got the ideas from somebody else. You know, it's been, um, it's been you know, bastardized, shall we say, from somebody else's interpretations. And there's an interesting book um, by Aristotle, and it was, you know, this book's two and a half thousand years old, and he was, talk he was talking about finding the mean. And I was just, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, fuck. What he's talking about is, you know, looking at the mean between two things. There's a very deep thing um, uh, called the Kybalion, which is Hermaic philosophy. And that talks about the principles of polarity that, you know, selfishness and selflessness are the same thing because they're on the same scale. You know, if you're being, there, you know, there is no, it's hard, it's hard to explain, but when you look at them as the same thing and you just need to alter your scale, you can look at the right steps to do that. And once I realized that, I wasn't looking after my own needs. I needed to, you know, the reality was is before I needed to start helping more people, but now I need to start telling more people to fuck off because, you know, I was just being, I was just helping too many people. 
Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of things change with my social media. I used to answer every single Facebook message. I used to get back to every email. And then I realized that was taking four hours of my day doing that. Mm-hmm. So when I, I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. Fuck off. If I get back to you, well done. If not, I'm lucky. And what that enabled me to do is have an extra four hours with my daughter, extra four hours with my wife, and to re-energize. And it was that quick change that got me back down to that kind of balance um, scale that enabled me to help more people because you can't serve others from an empty vessel. Mm-hmm. Such, such a good point there, Jamie. I think I suppose uh, you can also kind of look at it as like a volume dial. I know you was kind of talking about it yeah. at a scale, but like, so there are sometimes, for example, let's just take it as when you were, I don't know, writing your book, there might have been times where you had to be a little bit more selfish because exactly, yeah. at that period in your time, in your, in your life, sorry, you have this specific goal that you really, really need to focus on. And then that allows for other times in your life you to be a little more selfless. And so I suppose it's, yeah, as you said, it's all about the mean and just balancing yeah. it all out. Yeah, a lot of people try and find that balance, but it's not finding the balance, it's understanding what balance is. Mm. So there are times where you need to up that volume and there are times when you need to turn it down a little bit. But where you need to, what you need to do is literally do a self-assessment every few months or so and go, whereabouts am I? Mm. and what do I need to do to either do I need to turn it up or obviously shut it down yeah and I think it's all down to kind of this is getting real deep but it is genuinely super important but it's I suppose finding your why and why you're doing what you're doing and you know what is it gonna what is going to make you happy and overall yeah what's a balanced and happy life for you um so yeah and then just I suppose speaking about the whole book and everything so you obviously have written a book mindset with muscle and so I just wanted to know about kind of the whole period of going through that and writing that and how how has helped you kind of leave your legacy and yeah what you've kind of got from it well a lot of it was more of a challenge for myself you know I, I failed GCSE English um when I told someone I was writing a book they laughed um so like well you know how are you going to do that which if anyone ever says that to me you know I'm very much driven by spite <laughs> So I'm just like, well, I, watch I, me. <laughs> yeah, well, I said, well, it's not just going to be a. It can't just be a book. Then it has to be a bestseller. And they, you know, a lot of people just, they don't really understand how my brain works. I they, do. Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> but, were, were they doing? Well, I, I did launch the book eight hours later. It did become a bestseller, so it was great. You know, fantastic. Hey. Um, but the main thing was is that, yeah, I'm not a natural writer, um, but I do. You know, I, I did want to get something out there. I did want to get a book that, you know, I, in the time that I'd looked to, re- to write the book, I'd read about 100 books. And the thing that I enjoy doing on social media is taking complex subjects and what I call uh, drawing them out in crayons. Um, if anyone wants to kind of research this, it's called the Feynman Technique. Um, it was a guy who understood, he, a quantum physicist who was able to articulate very complex subjects very easily and that's what a lot of people need to do what is this really deep you know neuroscientific experiment say about something that i can then put into a nice funny video to make people understand and i very much wanted my book to be very complex subjects on habits on mindset drawn out in crayon and made nice and easy to do in a 140 page book to go through some simple systems that you can do for yourself in order to achieve those things. So that's where the idea for Mindset with Muscle came. 
a year before that, you know, I'd launched my podcast. I'd, I'd you know, listened to 50 or 60 of the brightest people on there who have come from nothing and are now, you know, very successful people. And at the end of the day, success leaves clues. So from the, the books that I read and from the people that I listened to, I was able to compile this into you know, a very quick to read 30,000 word book. Awesome. That's amazing. And so do you think, what, what are your main kind of, um, what are the main things that you were trying to get across in that book to kind of share with people to leave an impact on them? I think a lot of people, I mean, the first chapter, I really talk about problems and solutions. Uh, a lot of people want to lose weight. Um, so I'd have someone come to me and say, oh, Jamie, I need to lose 20 pounds. But that wouldn't be, that would be the problem. But then you still not achieved that. And the reason that you haven't achieved that is because you haven't found the right solution. So the problem isn't that you've got 20 pounds to lose. The problem is really, why are you 20 pounds overweight in the first place? Because once you understand what that is, then you can make the right steps to get that transformation. Because you already know the solution is to lose weight, to lose 20 pounds. But that's not the problem. The problem is, is you don't respect yourself enough or you're too selfless and put others first to care about yourself. Or there's something there that is stopping you from being able to consistently achieve what you know needs to be done. So it, it's just getting you to delve deep into things and looking at them differently. That's very much kind of the first chapter. And then I very much talk about habits and routines. I'm very big on creating habits and routines, creating sustainability and being patient with a lot of things as well. Because we're very much, as we spoke about, very instant gratification, you know, want it now kind of mentality. When anything that's ever been sustainable has come from many, many years of hard work. Mm, it's all about yeah that deferred gratification which I think is a, it's very easy to lose sight of when you want something now which I think especially um, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now are probably young entrepreneurs people who are trying to find success in their fitness journey and if they just remember that it's all about the long term and the end goal while they're doing these what may seem like mundane daily tasks then they'll get to that outcome and they'll they'll feel real good about it. So, Jamie, perhaps maybe what are some of the uh, daily tasks and process-based goals, as it were, that you implement into your life in order to allow you to reach your big end goals? So a lot of it is, is most importantly patience, as I said. You know, I know where I, I want to be. Um, I've got an eight-year goal now and I'm doing the steps that it takes to get there. Um, so that's, that's done. That's happy ticking a box. Um, now I reverse engineer into what I need to do daily in order to do that. First and foremost, you know, I need to be focused more on my business and its growth in order to achieve that financial outcome. For myself, it's about daily processes to make sure that I'm able to do that. And for that, it's getting enough sleep, not consuming social media as much or if at all, producing great quality content, spending um, an insane amount of time daily to absorb and learn things and to spend a lot of time appreciating what I've already got. Amazing. That's brilliant. And I think that that's something that the listeners are going to be able to take away um, for sure. So finally, I just wanted to ask you about your podcast. I know that you said that it is making the great return because I, uh, I definitely, I used to listen to your podcast all the time and I was wondering where it floated off to. 
So as 2016 was the year I opened my gym facility. It was also the year I wrote my book. It was also the year that I was doing my podcast. It was also the year I was doing my charity event. The volume was up high. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's very selfless, but also, you know, I've got a family. Um, I've got to have a social life. You know, I took 2016, I had two days off. So that puts into perspective on that. Um, I was working a lot. And part of being selfish and having to change that equation was looking at things that um, needed less focus or needed to be dropped in order to obviously focus on my priority, which was my business. Now, I loved my podcast. I loved doing it. But the same with anything. When something starts becoming a chore rather than a passion, you need to question that. I consistently launched my podcast episodes every single week without fail for 73 weeks straight. The minute that I felt that I couldn't keep that consistency up, I stopped. And I stopped because I, stopped because I knew it was going to come back, but it's just not yet. But when it does come back, it's going to be an absolute stormer. So this is the year for it to come back. It'll be back around April. Um, it'll be easy to find because it'll be top of every single chart. <laughs> I absolutely love that. No, that's awesome. And I look forward to it coming back. That's for sure. So, yeah. So um, that's all really that I wanted to ask you about, Jamie. Is there any kind of key advice or words that you would like to leave with the audience today? Um, a lot of what I've already said, no one's coming to save you. Um, mm, yeah. you. Literally everything is at your fingertips now. We live in a world where Google can show you how to get you know, skinny, rich and happy. And it's all about using those tools effectively. So stop following idiots on social media. Stop following people that are going to lift you up, that are positive and that are going to help you get better in life mm. and value your time and energy. That is awesome. No, Jamie, it's been great having you on today. I will leave all of your Instagram and your all of your other handles and website and stuff in the description for the podcast. So there's no need to confuse people, but I'm pretty sure it's just Grenade J. Every, yeah, everything at Grenade J. Brilliant. Everything and anything. That alignment is uh, optimal. <laughs> Thank you for coming on today. I hope the listeners have enjoyed the podcast. See you later, Jamie. Thank you. And that wraps up today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast, guys. I do hope that you have liked it a lot. If you have liked it, please do remember to take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story. And also, I am releasing a course all about personal branding. It is going to teach you how to build a personal brand into a six-figure business and do what you love and absolutely smash it. So if you are interested in that, please do click the link in the description box and make sure you join the email list so that you can get £200 off when it comes out, which is going to be some point in March. But make sure you're on the email list for further news and for more information. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode again. Have a lovely day and remember to smile.